Welcome to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's bizarre adventure. My name is Courtney. And Kono Karuda! This is episode 80, and we're reviewing part 6, Stone Ocean, Made in Heaven 1. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the Jojo anime. And the localized title for this episode. Not bad. It's pretty clever. Yeah, I mean, it's just about as clever as the previous arc for Seamoon. It's Maiden Heaven. Like maidens or like maidenless from Elden Ring. I was thinking of the band Iron Maiden. There you go. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I don't know why they don't just use this kind of convention in coming up with localizations for stand names. Just or stand names or characters based on music references. Just take something that sounds similar and it, it kind of keeps the, the effect. It's like the best that they can do with what they're given. I don't know. Sometimes there are localized titles that just don't make sense or there are better versions out there um, or something closer. Like these ones I, I can I can stomach because they really made the attempt to try and get as close to the original name as possible. But there are other ones where it's just like completely different and I don't understand and I hate it. One of the worst is Zipperman. <laughs> right. Like, I know literally he's got zippers and he's a man, but it's just dumb. <laughs> just put sticky fingers. Yeah, sticky fingers. Of sticky fingers. People <laughs> will get the idea. Sticky phalanges. <laughs> Adhesive appendages. There you go. It's like flaccid pancake, which we didn't get, but, you know, it's it's still there on the fan side of things. But anyway, that's the localized title. We are in the final arc of Stone Ocean because it is the final three episodes. We're going to be talking about Made in Heaven 1. Next week is Made in Heaven 2. And then the final week is What a Wonderful World. And with that said, we thought we'd take the opportunity to recap the schedule for Strictly JoJo because... As many of you probably know, we are technically a bi-weekly podcast. We put out episodes every other Monday, but for the duration of Stone Ocean, we've been putting out weekly episodes that we can talk about the entirety of Stone Ocean in a very timely manner. And with the last two parts of Stone Ocean being back-to-back, we have been weekly for quite some time. So we are going to move back to our bi-weekly schedule with the conclusion of our Stone Ocean review series. The last Stone Ocean episode will come out March 13th, and then we're going to have a break week, and then we'll be back with that bi-weekly format starting March 27th. We're going to have a discussion episode, so tune into that to find out what the topic will be. And then after that, we're jumping right back into Stardust Crusaders. As far as Made in Heaven goes, I really liked this episode. I don't know what it was about this episode. I feel like it was different than what we've normally experienced because, yes, they're in the middle of a battle, but I feel like there's so much more going on here, so much more important stuff, so much character and relationship development going on here between Jotaro and Jolene, Anasui and Jolene, Anasui and Jotaro. Uh, you know, just everybody has these different interactions throughout this intense episode that it just drew me right in. It was kind of a nice change of pace. I was thinking, is this um, heaven on earth? Heaven on Earth. Massage parlor. <laughs> Made in Heaven has finally descended upon the JoJo universe. Um, part of this, to me, feels like a transitional episode for us to get more attuned to Made in Heaven and its abilities. But transitional meaning that things are transitioning 
at the speed of light, basically. With how would you call it an introductory episode for Made in Heaven? Um, yeah, because it's like a very <laughs> slow introduction. Yeah, like Poochie's new power gets discovered, and then we don't really see Made in Heaven for quite some time until it like peeks out behind the pole. Yeah, I I figured just because things are kind of in a sense moving like they were moving rapidly and i was like okay this is slightly transitional i guess that's more of like a tongue-in-cheek humor for me um but yeah it's it's a unique way that this episode is building up like the danger and suspense even though like you said poochie's not necessarily present in most of the episode but unlike you know, there are times where JoJo characters are able to combat a stand's abilities. Like, even though they can, they're they pretty reactive to it at first, like, there's something tangible that they can attack. But here, it's almost like it's everything is out of the prison posse's control, kind of like with Weather Report's heavy weather ability, because it's basically time that they have to go up against. And, of course, you have... Jotaro and Star Platinum who've acted as this sort of caveat to time like I think they've always been this caveat in Jojo but even one of the most quintessential Jojos in the series is having his doubts which in turn kind of makes me feel uneasy watching all of this maybe that's why I enjoy this episode so much it's because it's it's giving us um, interactions with Jotaro and the you know Stone Ocean Joe bros for pretty much the first time because he was absent for the majority of the story. And I just find it so cool watching like watching him interact with these characters that are very important to Jolene. But not only that, but the way he's interacting with everybody is drastically different than what we've experienced from Jotaro in the past. It's, it's, it is nice going through Stone Ocean and then having our breaks to jump back and forth to part three in the middle of it because it gives a direct comparison to how Jotaro behaved in part three as a teenager versus how he's behaving now as an adult and as a father. There are some stark differences. I mean, he's still generally himself. He's still generally a Sunday, but there are some notable differences about the way he's behaving and the way that people interact with him. I think the most, I'll talk a little bit more about it in depth, but the most um, standout thing and that I found really interesting is that everybody, Emporio, Hermes, Anasui, they all call him Jotaro-san. And it's kind of crazy to think that he has aged this far. He has become a full-fledged adult where there's a younger generation, um, you know, and not like below him necessarily, but you get the idea. Like there's a younger generation out there who is now giving him that respect as the experienced, knowledgeable, mature adult. Because back in part three, he was a rebellious, angry kid. But I feel like you, you kind of see that in part four as well. You do. It's, yeah, that's like kind of the, the first step in that process. Because by mm-hmm. that time, he was like already an adult. I think Jolene was technically born by that time too. So, he, right? Or something like that? Jolene. Maybe not. No, I can't remember. Um, cause How old is she? I always forget how old she is in um Stone Ocean. Let me see. Jolene. Hujo. I'm Googling her birth date. It would have been 1992. Yeah, so she was born because part four was set in 99, wasn't it? Yes, 1999, Bizarre Summer. So there you go. That's kind of the the early stages of Jotaro becoming more mature. But 
I, I think the only person who calls him San or uses the San um, honorific is Koichi or does Okuyasu also use it with Jotaro? I can't I remember. Like... It's been a while. It's such a minor detail. Yeah, I feel like Okuyasu wouldn't use it because <laughs> it's kind of laid back. I know that like Joseph is called Joestar's son by Avdol in part three and Kakyoin and Polnareff. Um, but here it's just, I don't know, it's, it's so strange like seeing Jotaro come full circle from where he started off in part three to where he is now. Like where he is now is, how, is where Joseph was in part three mm -hmm. and where Jolene is now is where Jotaro was in part three. So it's that really cool like completion of, of this like not life cycle, I guess, but just the maturity cycle. And I also find it interesting that they call him Jotaro-san instead of Kujo-san, maybe because Jolene is also there and her last name is technically Kujo, even though she spells it different. Yeah, I mean, in in Japanese, you would only refer to someone by their first name if you felt close to them. Right? Yes, but I was thinking maybe they're calling him Jotaro-san because I think technically everybody except Jotaro is actually American. Because mm, yeah. they're all in Florida. So my True. assumption is, like, Emporio we know is American because he was born in the prison. Jolene was born in America. I'm going to assume Anasui and Hermes are American as well. So maybe that's the, the reason behind the decision to call him Jotaro-san instead of Kujo-san. So basically, Mr. Jotaro. Yeah. Is what they're <laughs> Instead calling. of Mr. Kujo. <laughs> but anyway, I'll dive more into that. Um, Jotaro's, I guess, progression into maturity when we dive into the episode. All right, Jojo fans, time for a match that is most definitely not made in heaven because we're about to dive her down into our synopsis and discussion for part six, episode 36, Made in Heaven 1. Poochie Gangier is now at his Poochie Gangiest with his stand achieving its final form as the Maiden in Heavenin. After one of the blinding lights by the weekend emanates from the final Pokemon evolution, the prison posse finds themselves suddenly a ways away from Poochie's floating shuttle ride. It seems that time has begun to move again, but at an alarmingly faster rate, with drops of suddenly turning dry and ice cream before you can even savor it, or the day suddenly turning with the stars already out. It is then that the group realizes that they are in a meta Jojo reference, discovering that the Maiden in Heavenin's ability is to make time fly before you can barely have fun. Hisoka Sui saves Daddy Jotaro by raising the roof in the not-so-nick of time from Poochie Gangiest and his galloping grotesque gallantry, and thinks it to be a perfect opportunity to ask for his daughter's hand in marriage. But the jittery Jojo literally has no time to waste on the fishnet philanderer as he tries to track Poochie Gangiest through Star Platinum's time-stopping ability, though it's as effective as using a cup of water to put out a damn forest fire. Poochie Gangiest stops his heavenly horse's zoomies momentarily to preach the good news of the prison posse's impending doom and the whole of humanity's approaching salvation, and with time very much on his side, they can't gallop their way out of this one. In short, this priest has got two balls of steel that you definitely can't run from. I see what you did there with the rain <laughs> and the ice cream. At first I was like, what happened? And then I realized, oh, <laughs> right, that's clever. Time was away. <laughs> <laughs> and now onto our next segment of the show is that a music and or fashion reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and or fashion. And of course, we have one significant one for this episode, that being the final evolution of Poochie's stand called Made in Heaven, 
This is a reference to Made in Heaven, a 1985 single by Freddie Mercury, lead singer of the British rock band Queen, and later used as the title of their 15th and final studio album in 1995, which was four years after Mercury's death. Fun fact, I think this marks the second time a JoJo villain has made a reference to Queen in its naming conventions. Uh, the first being with you know, Chicago Kira's Killer Queen or Bites the Dust. And now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. I didn't catch any for this one. And truthfully, I'm wondering if there are any coming up for the last couple of episodes. I may have overlooked something. So as always, please reach out and let us know. One thing, I don't know if we've brought this up previously, but you would expect uh, with Poochie's stand evolving that the OP would slightly change with his appearance and with the stand standing next to him. But that's not the case for both the Seamoon arc and with the Maiden Heaven arc. I know they don't change the OP um, to add sound effects and, you know, the, the Poochie insertion and all of that. Insertion sounds bad. <laughs> the change that they have with Poochie, you know, going up against Jolene um, until the last episode? I think so, yeah. Yeah, maybe they just wanted to keep it a secret, but they also don't show weather reports mm-hmm. backdrop with um, his sister and the cliff until the last episode as well, even though that was revealed many episodes ago. Uh, so I don't know what the decision was there. I get the sound effects. Like they always keep that stuff for the last iteration of the opening and that's totally fine. But when we see Made in Heaven here, well, I guess maybe this episode would be bad to show it because then we would see Made in Heaven prematurely. But we do see Made in Heaven in this episode. Oh, you mean like before the OP it's, becomes, yeah. comes out mm-hmm. before Made in Heaven shows itself. So maybe mm. if it would be better to infuse it in the OP for the next episode. I don't know. I feel like they just didn't want to put the effort in. Because thinking back to the second OP for part five, Golden Wind, they had several different versions of that. There was like the, the main one that played for the majority of the episodes. And then... The the one that played with Diavolo um, entering in when he was trying to turn his stand into Requiem. And then there was Jornos, remember? Yeah. Like where you had gold experience Requiem. So I feel like they could have put more effort into making this OP more unique as the part progressed. But I don't know, maybe that was a decision that they decided not to go with. Yeah, at this point, with three episodes left, I think we can all just accept that Stone Ocean has had a very strange ride compared to all of the previous parts of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And fingers crossed, Steel Ball Run Part 7 has a more uh, familiar ride to what we've gotten through Parts 1 through 5. Um, Stone Ocean is still good regardless, but it'll I think it'll be remembered as the JoJo part that had a very different anime adaptation. Now that Poochie's final stand version's power has been revealed, yes, we can confirm that Araki is continuing his trend of having all main villains uh, have time-based stands because Poochie's is accelerating time. It was about gravity. It was about discs. But now the final iteration is about time. What a strange evolution. It's like... Yeah. It's like three different... It's like if... If Bulbasaur were to evolve into Charmeleon, 
were to evolve into Blastoise. <laughs> yeah, it's like it skips around for sure. I mean, it makes sense based on what Pucci's ultimate goal is. I think his original stand has nothing to do really with the ultimate goal of attaining heaven. But when the baby infuses with him, now he's got a link directly back to Dio. And I think mm. that's why gravity makes sense because gravity is part of this whole thing with attaining heaven. And then, of course, time acceleration makes sense because Dio's stand was time-based. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Pucci's got to have a time-based stand. I wonder if Araki keeps that going in the subsequent parts, parts 7, 8, and 9. But at least we know up to part 6. Well, parts 3 through 6 with stands. There are always going to be some sort of time element to those uh, ultimate villains' powers. I would say, though, with um, Poochie's stands, I just I feel like, and we talked about this, Simon was just so short-lived, two episodes, barely, like one and a mm-hmm. half episodes, that I almost wish we just got Made in Heaven right away because now Made in Heaven is going to feel really short-lived because it's only got two episodes technically, and for most of this episode, it barely appeared. And then like the final episode, I don't think we see much of Made in Heaven. So that's the only downside is like, I don't feel connected to Sea Moon or Made in Heaven. I feel connected to White Snake, or at least familiar with White Snake, but I don't feel about Sea Moon and Made in Heaven the same way I do about King Crimson or about Killer Queen. You know what I mean? Like there's something iconic about those stands. And here it's just we we didn't have enough time to get to know them. Yeah, I would say it's because Sea Moon is more of just a stand that helps Poochie get from point A to point B. And then with Made in Heaven, yeah, I mean, when it's first introduced in this episode, it's a really unique looking stand. Uh, we'll probably talk more about it as this arc progresses. But yeah, it's it's just unfortunate because I think just the nature of it being a stand based upon the acceleration of time that like we have we literally don't have any time to to really connect with it as much as we did with white snake the other thing i noticed is that unlike the rest of the main jojo villains poochie because he's lurking in the shadows for the majority of stone ocean he actually doesn't have an iconic stand cry or stand like call out because if you think about Killer Queen, you can hear Yoshikage Yoshikage Kira say Killer Queen, or like King Crimson. Like all you have to do is think about Diavolo saying King Crimson, and you can hear in your head like how he calls out his stand. But Pucci never really calls out White Snake, um, and I don't even know if he calls out Sea Moon or Made in Heaven. If he does, it just hasn't stuck with me. So I feel like Pucci as cool of a villain as he is and as impressive as a villain of a villain as he is i think he does lack in certain departments compared to other main villains i was gonna say probably because he doesn't consider himself a villain but yeah that's another thing too you you could maybe say the same thing about uh kira because he's like i just want to live a quiet life (laughs) um but i think that's also just what makes pucci one of the more unique jojo villains is that he kind of breaks from that from the mold in that sense although i will say kira's powers of um like killer queen's powers are like bombs and shit that is kind of a weird mashup with the time abilities yeah because he's he's like going back in time or repeating time um so that is something that's a similarity but anyway 
We're, we're learning about Made in Heaven now. We're getting time acceleration. And the episode starts off with uh, us seeing Poochie once again, like, glowing like crazy and ascending to heaven as his stand power evolves. And he starts by, you know, blabbing off more positivity, as we talked about in the last episode, saying that the spear that Jotaro threw at him hit him in the exact right spot to put him in, in the exact perfect coordinates for him to achieve Made in Heaven. I mean, technically, he's not wrong. Everything did play out in his favor, but it's just crazy to me how he keeps spinning every obstacle in his favor. And then you have Anasui um, going in for the attack to try and stop Poochie. And what's weird is that Maiden Heaven pops out of Anasui's arm. I don't understand that. Like, I get, I get that Anasui was getting closer to Poochie and then he started to glow, but, the, but to have Maiden Heaven appear for the first time out of Anasui's arm, I didn't quite understand like why that was happening. Like why wouldn't it emerge out of Poochie even if Anasui started glowing because he was getting too close? Dramatic reveal, I guess. <laughs> like is that a is that a power of Maiden Heavens that it can like like rip out of people's bodies? Like I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking because Diver Down can phase through things, can things in turn phase through it? but I don't think that's ever been established with Diver Down. Well, I think Anasui uses Diver Down in that moment to try and stave off any possible damage from Made in Heaven as it's emerging from his forearm. But yeah, it was it was an interesting way to... Maybe it's because time is a concept that you can't be fully grasped, and that's represented <laughs> with the, the with stands this decision. Of... <laughs> yeah. Although I know like the, 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 the prison posse have been trying to attack or they tried to attack uh, Maiden Heaven throughout this arc. So Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just very odd that that's how Araki chose to officially introduce Maiden Heaven. But it is what it is. And immediately after, um, the Joe Bros wake up and gravity's back to normal. And I think it's back to normal because Pucci's stand has transformed. So he no longer can control gravity because instead he's controlling time and accelerating it at an insane rate. And so we see a couple of things start to hint at that before the, the Joe Bros officially realize, oh shit, time is speeding up. Like for example, poor Hermes almost getting her ass chopped off in that auto door and then getting mm -hmm. clocked in the head with that piece of cement. Like she is just getting her ass whooped. <laughs> I will say though, I didn't entirely, maybe not saying I didn't like it is too harsh, but I wasn't totally keen on the way they first depicted Made in Heaven's ability. Because it honestly felt more like King Crimson's ab ability to like skip ahead in time. Because you had kind of like what you did with your synopsis, you had those gaps in time. So you they see, uh, we see different examples of this, like the girl blowing her nose and then her boogers dry up right away. Or the baseball, you know, coming down faster than expected in kind of like a, a, a blip in time and then cracking mm. that guy's jaw. Um, just like all the blips in time, like with the ice cream as well, that feels more like what King Crimson does because you, you realize, or before you even realize what's happened, you're ahead in time. Even though it may not be speeding up with King Crimson, you've gone ahead in time. Yeah. I feel like there'd be a more clear perception of time with Made in Heaven. Um, cause like instead of like the, the rain example where it, it suddenly starts raining and then it stops i feel like realistically it would be what, what do you call those in real life 
um, like microbursts. The, microbursts. Yeah. Where it it will phase out really quickly. Or with the ice cream example, like the girl gets it and then it just rapidly melts in front of her instead of yeah it cuts to it melting yeah i think that's where i I would just like this doesn't feel like a true representation of what made in heaven's ability is i think it accurately represents the confusion that everybody is feeling especially the joe bros being exposed to it for the first time but i do like like for example how the the clouds are rolling in really fast Mm -hmm. that's an acceleration of that cloud movement or how the sun sets really fast i think that makes sense and they don't do this whole like king crimson time blip thing for very long it's just these kind of first few moments of weird things happening because then you get um i don't know if it was a blip or more of like accelerated time but i think one of the last ones we see is a woman walking her dog and then like as they're crossing the road she gets hit by a car because the lights change before she can make it across the street and i'm like side note on that (laughs) i told you this when you were watching it Mm -hmm. could this be the jojo part where a dog doesn't die or even get hurt this is like a milestone <laughs> for Iraqi expectations. I know. I mean, we haven't really seen a dog at all in this part. And the one dog we see, because Iraqi loves to put dogs in each part, the one dog we see goes completely unscathed. I'm like, holy shit, Iraqi, you broke from your, your, your mold. Unless it, it gets hit by a car off screen. No, that's we sad. We just didn't see it happen. <laughs> well, I hope not. <laughs> Finally, though, Jotaro, being the big brain guy that he is, realizes that time is accelerating, and that is confirmed when he looks down at his watch and sees that it's moving at a very fast rate. And side note, um, I know that they stylized Jotaro's like watch brand. It says toke. Toke is the word for watch in Japanese. So I thought that was clever. Wow. <laughs> um, just thinking of that. If time is accelerating, I mean, we probably wouldn't see this rapidly. Wouldn't the the like people's bodies also be aging rapidly in this instance? They would, but the time we only go through one day in this episode yeah, because it starts true. off like bright and sunny. And it ends in the evening. So it's accelerating, but not that rapidly where you see um, changes to the human body. But you do see like Hermes and Jolene, like the blood on their face dries up really fast, even though they have open wounds. But wouldn't they also be moving rapidly if time is moving rapidly? Because if, I mean, yes, they're speaking in, I'll call it real time, which is like a second as a second. But if time is accelerating, they would be talking like chipmunks. Yes, but then to them, it would feel like normal time. There wouldn't be this realization of time accelerating because they're accelerating with the time. Therefore, it would just be normal time in their eyes. Okay. Maybe I'm just not... Maybe it's just too difficult for me to grasp. But I think the idea here is kind of like King Crimson where the standability impacts everything but humans. Like when King Crimson goes into effect, people stop and realize, wait, what the fuck just happened? There was like a blip in time. But with that said, I don't think every JoJo villain's powers work that same way. I would say the world and Killer Queen actually work the opposite because the world stops time for everybody except for Dio. So I don't think people even realize that time has stopped unless they see Dio do something crazy. And then same with Killer Queen, when time reverses, it's only him and Hayato that realize it. Wait, you said... When King Crimson activates 
its power, no one realizes that time has passed? No, people do realize it. Because Jor- mm. you got like Jorno and the Jobros reacting to it and thinking, what the fuck just happened? But in part four, you've only got Hayato and Kira reacting to the reversal of time. Mm-hmm. Because Hayato knows about it. He's aware of it. And then the world in part three, the only two who actually know what's going on are Dio and Jotaro because Jotaro's stand is similar to his stand. Um, so I think it, it's not going to be the same across. I think some stand, uh, stand, some time-based villain stands don't impact the general populace. But I think other ones like Made in Heaven do affect. Wait, I'm saying that backwards. <laughs> the world and Killer Queen are examples of villain stands where the time effect does impact people. It impacts humans because they're being affected, like what you know, they're they're stay, standing still in time, or they're reversing back in time, and it's like nothing to them. They're just to them, it's like like nothing's even happened because they don't realize it. But then you got King Crimson, and then Made in Heaven, where humans are reacting like, wait, what just happened? Or why is time accelerating? Mm, okay. You you look very confused. No one else can see your face but me, but you look <laughs> very confused. No, no, I, I get that. It's just, I keep thinking the, the Joe Bros, the prison posse, they would be, or like everyone in the world is still moving relative to how they would in real time, even though everything around them is rapidly accelerating. Yes. Because the way Made in Heaven's power works impacts everything but humans. I guess maybe okay. imp- it impacts okay. everything but living creatures because the dog's not impacted either. Okay. I had I looked up um, the article for Made in Heaven on the JoJo Wiki, and this kind of helps clear things up, uh, where upon activation, upon Made in Heaven's activation, time will gradually flow faster and faster in the whole universe. However, Made in Heaven prevents any living being from catching up with the acceleration, with the exception of its user, Enrico Pucci, and essentially God. So yeah, okay, it it makes sense now. It's not affecting people or creatures, but it's Pucci that's moving faster than everybody else. Wait, isn't that what I said, though? (laughs) Yes. That's exactly what I said. So was my my explanation confusing? No, maybe I just had to read it. And then it had to con- it connected. Okay, I mean that's <laughs> no, right. sometimes that's when reinforcing I... what you were saying earlier. <laughs> sometimes when I explain things, not even on this podcast, just in the day to day, day to in day to day life, I know I can be very like wordy and over explain. That's just my brain trying to process it and then regurgitate it back out at you. So if, that's fine. If if reading it made more sense, as long as you have the understanding, that's what's important. Yeah. So okay, it makes sense why like Jothro and Jolene and all of them aren't talking like chipmunks. Even though I think we discussed this off mic, that Poochie would be talking to them and it would sound like chipmunks to them. If he stayed in accelerated time, because yeah, he's moving like way faster than everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does talk to them at the end of this episode. I think he like goes back to their time speed in order to talk to them normally. But yeah, yeah I mean, it, theoretically, he could just start blabbing off at them and they'd be like, what is he saying? He's talking too fast. Like, yeah. <laughs> And so in the middle of all this madness, we do have the eye catch for this episode, uh, the stand stats for Star Platinum. We have discussed Star Platinum stats in our part three episode reviews, but the unique thing about the stats that appear in this episode is that typically Star Platinum's development potential is ranked at A, but if you see it here, 
in this image, it actually says complete, which is interesting. That's weird. Have we ever seen that before? I don't think so. Maybe we'd have to refer back to the stand stats if star platinum stand stats appear in part four. I'm just thinking what would make star platinum's development potential complete? Is it that it be, it came to the realization at the end of part three that it shared the same abilities as the world in stopping time and that was what completed its development? Has star platinum the world ever been longer than five seconds because i know there's the the theory that if you practice it the world can go longer and longer in terms of like the amount of seconds um like you can you can find ways to like you know increase the amount of time you're you're stopping time for but it maybe they're saying that its development is complete because it's recognized all its powers like the world and also maximized them trying to remember at the end of part four when jotaro uses star platinum um he says like he's he's gotten a bit rusty because he hasn't been able to stop time as quickly as he used to i I remember that too yeah that's right and and i feel like i could be wrong i feel like his max time in part four was also five seconds Mm -hmm. but i could have sworn in part four he said he like was able to get it up to like 10 seconds I yeah. could be totally wrong on that. <laughs> we'll have to go back and check. If someone wants to correct us, feel free to reach out. But I'm pretty sure it's something to that effect. Because, um, yeah, you're right. He does acknowledge that he is not able to use the world as effectively as he did in the past. And so that makes me think, how would we call this complete if Jotaro has the ability to push push further beyond five seconds? Okay, I have an excerpt from Star Platinum's article on the JoJo Wiki. It says, In Jotaro's Prime, the ability lasted five seconds, but decreased over time due to neglect from its user. Ten years after its initial use, Jotaro is only able to stop time for half a second, but eventually extends it to one to two seconds throughout the later half of Diamond is Unbreakable. Oh, okay, so five seconds is his max. Mm -hmm. I think Dio went, went beyond that. I think Dio had like seven or ten seconds or something. Yeah. I think... I don't know, we haven't gotten there yet in our Stone Ocean <laughs> Review series, so we need that refresher. But, okay, so then maybe that explains why it says complete. But also, like, man, he's got, well, maybe not so much in the, the sense of Stone Ocean, but, like, if he didn't succumb to what he succumbs to at the end of this part, like, you'd think that he could keep developing his stand abilities? I don't know. That's weird. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, 1999 to 2011... Like what, I guess, yeah, what more could you develop besides trying to stop time for even longer? I mean, maybe like, because that's, that's the finite ability, like stopping time. I think this is, this means like Star Platinum doesn't have a potential to develop other abilities. Yeah. So like, even though like maybe Jotaro could practice using Star Platinum's ability to stop time for a longer duration that's only that time ability that's already been developed Does but he has sense? no new abilities to acquire like right. star finger and all that shit that he stopped using yeah, <laughs> yeah basically that's how i interpret it when we return from the eye catch we've got poochie um becoming very creepy and lurking around 
like really creepy. <laughs> I love the part where Jotaro uses the world to stop time and sees Made in Heaven like peeking out from behind one of the pillars. <laughs> it's just funny. Like Poochie's been so vocal. It's kind of like what we talked about with Jolene in the last episode. Like she's mm-hmm. so vocal, but then she gets really creepy and eerie when she's have when she's going up against Poochie in their like previous fight. Now Poochie's doing the same thing. He's taking a page out of Jolene's book. He's being a a sneak thief. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then as Jotaro uses the world, he realizes that even though he has the potential for five seconds, it's been drastically shortened because of the acceleration of time. So when when we were first leading up to this moment, I, w- I couldn't remember how it was done in the manga. So I was like, oh, will Poochie be able to move within the stopped time? Or you know, how, how will the acceleration of time impact the world? But here we get confirmation that Poochie still cannot move in stopped time. But the amount of time, even though Jotaro technically does have full a, fi- a full five seconds, it feels shortened because time is moving forward at an, at an increased rate. Yeah, it's, it's kind of odd because in the finale of the last episode, you can see Poochie's eyes move in stopped time. So you'd think from there, like he could also like learn to move even more in stopped time as this episode progresses. Yeah, because he's moving at a faster rate than everybody else. He's moving at the accelerated rate that the world is moving saying the world the universe is moving in versus um living creatures now let's get into what i consider the most important part of this Uh, episode and it's questionable it's not just the anasui stuff like this is where the relationship pieces come in that i just enjoyed so much watching this but it does start with anasui so anasui saves jotaro and i do want to call out something that i find interesting and this may just be my lack of knowledge on like Japanese translation, but the localization has Jotaro saying thank you to Anasui for saving him and pulling him onto the roof. But he technically says omae, which I think, I don't know if it's like slang or what, but it's like a common term for saying you. So he's kind of like saying you, and then he says you're Anasui, right? Or something like that. I find this weird that the localization team or the translation team decided to translate omae, which means you, to thank you. And maybe that's that's like the equivalent that I'm just not familiar with because I don't know some of the colloquialisms in Japanese. But in my mind, Jotaro doesn't thank people, especially some mm-hmm. dude he's never met before. Like, it's just crazy to me that Jotaro would say thank you. But maybe this is one of those moments that's hinting at his maturity, being an adult and being a father. Like, doesn't it seem weird to have Jotaro thank somebody? Yeah, I feel like this line has more of the energy of, like, oh, it's you. Yeah, or like, whoa. Like, almost like he's saying omai in a way to express kind of his shock Mm -hmm. that Anasui saved him versus his gratitude that Anasui saves him. Yeah. Especially when he says all that stuff after Anasui's speech where he's like, are you fucking insane? (laughs) Right. Because I think if, if it were... If weren't translated as thank you, like it's more of Jotaro being in shock that someone had to save him. And then like with Anasui spilling or going off about how he wants to ask for Jolene's hand in marriage, like Jotaro obviously has a cold reaction to that. Um, because he's a sundere. <laughs> that is, because yeah. he's Jotaro. Because yeah, uh, like one, he's, he's Jolene's father. And then two, why would he why would he give his blessing to someone who had to save him when you know Jotaro feels like he is capable of saving himself 
Yeah, and okay, so with Anasui's speech to Jotaro, I've been waiting so long for this moment because it was one of my favorite things to read in the manga, and I couldn't wait to see how they adapted this in the anime, and I love it. I love that they make Anasui's speech so inspirational, so hopeful. The music is beautiful. The things he's saying about protecting Jolene and her being the light in his darkness and the passion in the voice actor's voice, like it just is so good. And then it ends with Jotaro like staring at him saying, are you insane? Look where we're at. <laughs> it's so good. I just love the way it unfolds because then honestly, he's so defeated after he doesn't even say anything. Yeah, this reminds me a lot of the episode after Weather Report's death where he he puts the ring on Jolene's finger even though that's a period of mourning. Like, I feel like, honestly, he just does these in, these things at the most inopportune times. And here it's like Jotaro is, is calling out, calling him out on it because do, do you think now's the right time to talk about marriage when the world is pretty much about to end? Yeah, so I, I can see it going both ways. Like, I totally agree with Jotaro. Like, honestly, he's not picking the best time to do this. But I also kind of, I, I want to take a moment to think from Anasui's point of view where he's probably thinking we could die at any moment. This is my only opportunity to get Jotaro's blessing. Um, and he probably is going into it thinking like, this is probably not going to work, but I'm going to shoot my shot anyway. So I understand like in this life or death situation, you'd like to go out, you know, having some sort of positivity. And maybe that's his attempt here. But it is very distracting. Like, Jotaro's trying to keep this shit together and he's trying to keep everyone from dying. This is the last thing he needs to worry about. But I do like to think that, this is like totally my head canon. but I like to think that this is the same speech that Anasui gives Jotaro after the universe reset. Because mm. Jolene and Anasui are on their way to, to tell... Jotaro that they want to get married or whatever Jotaro's name is in that timeline yeah <laughs> so I like to think that honestly gives a similar if not the same speech and that Jotaro's reaction is still cold because he's a Sunday and because he's a, a protective father but you know maybe the answer is yes instead of are you insane <laughs> I also like how after Anasui's speech Jotaro decides to hold Jolene even closer <laughs> yeah, well, it's even before that, you have Jolene running over to Anasui. Obviously, she's not aware of the conversation they just had, but she grabs onto Anasui and says, Anasui, we need to stay together. From her point of view, she's saying we all need to stay together as a group, mm -hmm. like stand physically close to each other. Um, but I think Jotaro probably senses the familiarity that Jolene and Anasui have because they've been fighting this this enemy together for quite some time. And honestly, he has been pretty upfront about how much he cares about Jolene. So I think she trusts him. Like, you know, at the very least, like that's a person that she's very comfortable with. And I think hearing Anasui's speech, being asked for his uh, asked for his blessing, and then also watching his daughter approach this guy probably sets off all of Jotaro's father alarm bells. Because yeah. <laughs> it's his teenage daughter and yeah, I know we've talked before about we, we've argued that Jotaro is a good father. I think this is the best example of that. He just yeah. wants to protect his teenage daughter. He genuinely from, is from like this prisoner, yeah. <laughs> this murderer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he genuinely cares about his daughter. I, I think at this point it is very clear in in his own way, right, in his own cold, very um, quiet and subdued way because Anasui implores him one more time to say yes to the blessing and instead Jotaro grabs 
like rips his daughter away from Anasui to the point where she's shocked at what's going on and like embraces her. Of course, again, like it's Jotaro. He's not going to be outright about like, don't touch my daughter. He kind of disguises that under the same thing that Jolene said, like we all need to physically stay together because then he gets everyone to group up back to back so that everyone can watch for where Poochie's coming from. But we all know the underlying reason for his uh, his actions in that mm-hmm. moment. And I imagine too that, um, you know, Jotaro of course has everyone's safety top of mind in this this really intense situation. But I think a large part of it is he's just not ready to give away his daughter who he's finally reconnecting with. I mean, his daughter has hated him for so long because of a misunderstanding. And here he's finally having an opportunity to protect her the way he probably wanted to, like directly protect her and reconnect with her. And he's probably just not ready to to let that go. But then he's also doing that at the most inopportune time when, <laughs> when the world is like accelerating towards its apocalypse. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Timing is not on anybody's side except for Poochie's here. And speaking of Poochie, he does get one uh, little attack in with his Made in Heaven ability when he slices Jotaro's throat, but then Jotaro realizes that Anasui saved his life by taking the brunt of the attack using Diver Down. and Further proving that he is worthy of Jotaro's blessing. Yeah, and like I think Anasui would have done that either way, even if he didn't love Jolene. Like, Anasui may be a questionable person at times, but I think he's shown, even with the Weather Report arc where weather report was like fucking kill me and everyone keeps telling him that he's evil or whatever he shows that like he can recognize when someone's good and, and should be saved and mm-hmm. I, what i really like here is that when the world is activated and time is stopped jotaro realizes what's going on in the time stop moment he takes the time to drag the others to safety because you see him pull i think emporio and hermes like he's got mm-hmm. it like he's bleeding out in his throat he's like literally crawling on the ground using all of his might to protect those who are younger than him he's such a dad in this moment like he's using everything he has to to protect those who are younger because he recognizes that one he probably can't defeat Pucci on his own but two that these are important people to his daughter these are his daughter's friends they've been there for her throughout his absence so it's just funny to watch him be the mature adult I think there's a parallel here with the ending to part four where, you know, like Jotaro <laughs> essentially takes the spotlight from Josuke and saves everyone from Kira. Whereas that one, I, as I mentioned at the beginning of this discussion, I feel like a Jojo protagonist always has some sort of ace up their sleeve. And Jotaro has been the symbol of that with Star Platinum's ability to stop time. But here... It's Jotaro again trying to save this this group of people, the, you know the Duong gang in, in part four. But here it's it's the prison posse. But like you, you know that Made in Heaven is like almost the ultimate trump card by the way that Jotaro's reacting to this because like he doesn't even feel confident in himself that he can get everyone out of this sticky situation. And not only that, but I think the factor of his daughter being involved makes things that much more complicated. I don't think he can be fully calm knowing that his own child is at risk here. But this is what I was saying earlier in the episode. Like, I just love this character development for Jotaro. It may not be the most drastic character development that you're ever going to see in anime, but it is subtle enough um, and it is important enough that I, I just love watching Jotaro progress part after part after part. Like, here... 
if you compare him to, to part three when he's first introduced, here in part six, in this moment, he is showing actual concern for others. Mm-hmm. He is putting others before himself. And not even in the cold Sunday way, like he's just straight up showing that he's concerned for others. Um, he's showing acknowledgement of others, like Anasui saving him, or earlier, like when he and Hermes were able to partner up and, and get over to Jolene. Like it's just... He's always going to be a Sundere, but his Sundere trades have eased up because of what's at stake here. And he knows he's the most experienced and knowledgeable, and he's he's the only one who can help these kids. And I just, I love it. I just, I'm so enthralled by Jojo's Bizarre Adventure and the fact that it follows a lineage. It follows these characters that we love, and we get to see them grow up, have families, and progress in their own ways. Just like we did with Joseph, we got to see him go from a dumb teenager to a a grandfather who had to lead the Jobros, the Stardust Crusaders, throughout part three. Yeah, that's why Jothro is the quintessential Jojo in my <laughs> eyes and my number one favorite Jojo. Um, yeah, because I feel like he's he's kind of the glue that holds together. If if Joseph were the foundation of Jojo. Even though, like Jonathan, yeah, kind of gets put to the wayside in that in that statement. But I guess if they were the foundation, then Jotaro is kind of the glue that holds everything together. Yeah, we see that knowledge of the Jostars being passed on through their family by those who have been able to grow up and experience things, experience Dio and all of his crazy shit. But those experiences are coming to an end. They are. Poochie is. <laughs> is taking everyone towards doomsday. And the episode ends with Poochie about to do something crazy, but we'll find out about that in the next episode. And that brings us to our final thoughts for part six, episode 36, Made in Heaven 1. So did this episode sound heavenly at all to you? I loved it. I just loved it so much. Like, I know there's not a lot of fighting that happens, and a lot of it is just buildup of suspense. In, in in like preparation for that reveal of Made in Heaven, which we're not even really going to get until the next episode now that Poochie's about to attack them. But just, again, the, the character pieces here. I feel like in comparison to other JoJo parts, Stone Ocean has less of the character moments. Um, it still certainly has them. It just has less of them, less of those relationship moments. So to finally have one, especially in a setting like this, where they are under an extreme amount of pressure and having to make like snap decisions and just having to rely on each other for the sake of survival. I love seeing how everybody in this group is interacting. Again, particularly Jotaro, because this is such a a unique situation for him to be in with his own daughter's life at stake. So I, I really enjoyed it. I just loved having more of those pieces. And I know we get a little bit more of that in like the next two episodes, but this was very heavy in it. So it, it made me happy. It's kind of like when you experience, so say you watch like a battle shonen or something and they infuse like a slice of life episode. Some people might find those annoying. I actually really enjoyed them because it gives you a different side of these characters and reminds you that they're supposed to be actual people with lives, like their own lives and whatnot. So those types of things get me really excited, just seeing another side or another aspect of these characters. What about you? So I'm going to describe this episode with a possibly overdue, but certainly unwelcome Dark Knight reference. Oh, boy. <laughs> if the Sea Moon arc is an unstoppable force, then the Maiden Heaven arc is the immovable object. 
And in that sense, I thought this was a thrilling start to one of the most apocalyptic arcs in JoJo that just continues to highlight the shortcomings of not just the prison posse, but even Jotaro himself as they struggle against Pucci supremacy. And admittedly, outside of Anasui's poorly timed handed marriage request, most of the episode is is just the gang just trying to figure out what Made in Heaven is trying to achieve and how to counter it. But I think the suspense in their search is what kept me at the edge of my seat. And when Star Platinum can't even stop time adequately enough to counter a villain attack, I think you know for sure that this situation is definitely fucked. But I think there's still enough time to giddy up onward because Stone Ocean still got plenty in its tank to conclude the story in the grandest fashion in the final two episodes. I can't believe it. We are in the home stretch. These are the, well, we've just completed this episode. So yeah, final three, but now going on final two episodes. And there's going to be just so much to talk about, especially with that final episode, What a Wonderful World. A lot to talk about because the idea of attaining heaven and the universe reset is probably one of the most confusing things in all of Jodo's Bizarre Adventure. I know a lot of people, including myself after reading the manga, needed to watch and read several like explanation like videos and articles just to fully wrap our heads around what was going on. So we'll talk in depth about it in these next two episodes because I think we start to get the beginning of the universe reset in the next episode and then the rest of it comes in the final episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in once again, and hopefully you're just as excited as we are for the conclusion of Stone Ocean. As always, subscribe to Strictly JoJo on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash Series and tune into Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. To be continued.